the thing about being deceived or even whether it's subtle or not is that we don't realize. And there's things that, I mean, this happened in my life a lot that I've believed for like years and I didn't even realize I was believing a lie until I saw what the truth was. And I'm like, ooh. Um, and so I, I feel like that might happen for some of you today. Um, so just go with it. Trust God that he is going to, you know, that when the truth is, you know, solidified inside of you, you're going to leave different than when you came in. And so what we're going to do, um, I just want to talk, really uh, give you a few things that you might have missed from the crucifixion or that you just didn't know about. Um, and then we're going to take a look um, at a couple of the lies or things that we have been taught or believed that um, we need to get rid of. Is that okay? Um, so um, to start with, I just wanted to share just a few things about about lambs and about sacrifice and things that happen that we just don't really, because of the culture, we actually don't really have a clue. Um, so first of all, um, you may or may not know that actually all um, Passover lambs came from uh, the fields around Bethlehem. Um, and the thing about um, having a lamb um, is obviously they had to be spotless and they had to be, um, you know, pure and without blemish. And the way that they did that was that they wrapped the lambs in swaddling cloths. Where have you heard that before? So when the shepherds, when Jesus was laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling cloths, that would have meant something to them that doesn't mean anything to us. That actually, right from the get-go, there was a declaration over the life of Jesus that he was going to be the sacrificial lamb that was going to take away sin. Um, and it was actually the duty of the high priest to, um, to select and to declare the Passover lamb for sacrifice, um, you know, for the nation. And, and he would go to Bethlehem and he would get the pure spotless lamb. And the thing that you may have missed, because I did miss this um, for a long time, is that in Luke 1.5 tells us that um, John the Baptist's dad was um, a priest, Zechariah, um, who was from the priestly line of um, Abijah. And then Elizabeth um, was a descendant of Aaron, meaning that their son, John the Baptist, was actually from the lineage of priests, and meaning that he actually had the right to select the lamb, which he did do uh, at Jesus' baptism. John 1, 29, uh, Luke, the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And so actually he, we just didn't, we don't understand the significance of these things, but that is huge that actually he was a priest. He could, he could select the lamb for sacrifice and he declared, um, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so after um, they'd inspected the lamb um, and uh, they found that there was no fault, the person who was in charge of the lamb would actually wash his hands and then the animal would be handed over to be sacrificed, which is exactly what Pilate did um, when he declared Jesus to be without fault and then washed his hands and handed him over. And then the other thing that happened was that Jesus was actually crucified at the same time that the slaughtering of lambs was happening uh, in the temple. So um, the continual burnt offering sacrifice, uh, which is known as the Tamid, happened every day. Um, and it started with a lamb being sacrificed, and then there was loads of other sacrifices that happened and all kind of got added to the pile. And then they finished with another lamb being sacrificed at the end of the day. And although the Old Testament doesn't actually say when um, 
in terms of morning and evening when the sacrifices took place. According to like ancient uh, Jewish sources um, outside of the Bible, they reckon that the morning Tamid uh, took place at 9 a.m. and the evening one took place at 3 p.m., which is exactly the time frame that Jesus uh, was on the cross. The other thing, uh, I find these things fascinating, so hopefully you're enjoying it. Uh, when Moses went up um, Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, remember there was thunder and lightning and cloud and smoke and they were like, oh, I don't want to go. And, um, and then there was like a loud trumpet blast, which is like a ram's horn or the shofar um, was the noise. And um, so actually the, the voice of God came in the sound of, of a shofar blast. So actually people believed that when they heard that, that equaled the voice of God. Um, and what would happen is when they um, were doing the sacrifices um, of the lambs, actually to mark the end of the, the feast or the sacrifice, um, they would actually blow the shofar, the priest would blow the shofar in a specific um, seasonal blast to announce the end. Um, and that, that would have happened at like 3 p.m. around about that time. And so the question I ask myself is, did Jesus hear the shofar blast, which was, this is the voice of God accepting the sacrifice for the nation, and then he said it is finished. I don't know, like Temple Mount wouldn't have been far away and I'm sure there would have been an echo across. Um, and then this is the other one, which uh, can mess with your head, but is very, very fun. Uh, so John 19, uh, 19 to 22 says this, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, oh, I have written, I have written. Now, I don't know, do you ever pause and ask yourself, like, why were they so bothered by this? Um, why was this even a problem for the chief priests that they were like, take this down. We don't want to have this up here. It has to come off. Um, actually, because uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in Hebrew, is Yeshua HaNazari Vamelech Yehudim, which basically, when written, um, now they write backwards, so that's not what the slides behind are going to have, but actually each letter of... Um, that is yod heh which actually spells out Yahweh. So Pilate, <laughs> I don't know, knowingly or unknowingly, um, was actually declaring that Jesus was both Yahweh and the king of the Jews. So it's no wonder the chief priests were um, offended and were insisting that he change it. Um, so just that was just a few things that we can miss. Um, so actually the... The thing that um, I want to talk to you about today are just two lies, really, that I want to kind of debunk. Um, because we, they're subtle, and we just don't realize often that, they're, that we're believing that that is the case. So the first one is that the father can't look upon sin, and the second, that the father turned his face away. Um... So Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
And then 1 John 2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus became sin. Um, there was an exchange, but the, and, the, and actually, if the father couldn't look on sin, then what do we do with the prodigal son story? Where Jesus is really saying, you know, I am, I'm explaining to you in this story what the father is like. And I mean, Andy's done such an incredible job of, of telling that, that, like preaching on that so often that he did it recently. So do have a listen to it again. But the thing is that a Middle Eastern man just never ran. And actually to, to run, he would have had to like, you know, in a good Scottish expression, hoik up his breeks. <laughs> he would have to like hoik them up and then actually bare his legs, which was, that just brought shame on him. You just didn't show your legs. Um, and then run, um, which was just not the done thing at all. And the other thing is that if, um, in, in the culture of the time, if a, a, if a Jewish son lost his inheritance, and then returned home, the community would actually um, perform a ceremony where they would break like a large pot in front of him and yell, eh, you are now cut off from your people. And so the father ran because he was, he was actually wanting to get to the son before the community did so that there would be no, um, it was actually, so it was the father who was the one who experienced the shame and the rejection. And then, you know, we know the story, then he kisses the smelly, like pig poo smeared son and puts a robe on him, sandals, and a ring on his finger, um, which and just reinstates him and reconciles this lost son. And then, like the thing I really enjoy is that the father in this story then speaks the son's love language and is like, "Let's have a party," which is what the the younger son loved to do, which is why he'd squandered all his money, uh, had a party, and so. Jesus is the, is the exact representation of the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what was Jesus' attitude towards sin? Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and all of the riffraff of society. That would be like, I don't know, I'm not sure what this Glaswegian equivalent would be, but you can think about that yourselves. Um, and, and so we, we sometimes are just like, oh, but you know, surely, surely, what about like Habakkuk? So Habakkuk 1.13, your eyes, this is what Habakkuk says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. I would suggest that uh, Habakkuk is actually expressing a misunderstanding of God. This is in, a, in the context, there's a kind of conversation where he talks to God and God talks back to him and he talks to God and God talks back to him. And Habakkuk actually is, is saying something here, which I don't, I think he just misunderstood actually. He was assuming or putting something on God, which actually isn't, isn't truth. Um, and remember it was Adam who hid from God in the garden. Um, God then, you know, they'd took the apple and did what they ought not to have done. And then God came looking for them. He didn't go anywhere. He was the one who showed up looking to chat. Um, and the thing about sin is that it actually, the reason God hates it so much is because it hurts us and it causes us to pull away. It never caught, he never pulls away ever. Um, it just doesn't. Um, so the father can look on sin, 100% yes. Let's just uh, bust that one. Um, so then Matthew 27, 46 says this, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, 
Lema Sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we have been taught that that is what happened. We sing about it. I mean, I can, there's definitely two songs I know of, and there are going to be more, I'm sure, where we sing that. So um, the song lyrics, you know, um, from how deep the Father's love for us, it says this, how great the pain of seeing loss, the Father turns his face away. And then actually a Bethel song says this, one final breath he gave as heaven looked away. My question is, who told you that? <laughs> because nowhere in the Bible does it say the father turned his face away. If really that was a thing, if it was a thing, we would hear about it. We would have it all unpacked by Paul. We would have it like written to all the churches across like, you know, the New Testament world. It just is not a truth. So right now, like if you're in your head going, really? So we're going to get there. I'm going to unpack why uh, in a moment. So um, John, we're just going to hit, there's a lot of verses today. I just want to hit and explain this to you. So they're, they're coming behind me. So if I talk quickly, because I'm excited, then they're there and you can take notes. Uh, so John 17, 21 to 22, Jesus prayed this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. John 6, 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And that word from there um, actually can mean with. Um, he's with God. Uh, John 16, 32, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. And then John 8, 28 to 29. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So if we believe that, that the father turned away from Jesus in, in the moment he needed him the most, then actually by implication, we can believe that the father can forsake us. Or actually, if you take that further, we can believe that actually God's not really good. Um, and actually what ends up happening is we have a completely skewed wrong picture of who God the Father is. So when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was actually happening here was that he felt forsaken because he entered into the full feeling of separation because he was a human and he, 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 he became sin. He felt the consequences of sin, but actually he was without sin, remember. Um, I read earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God the Father did not abandon him, um, but actually allowed him in his humanity to fully experience the trauma of sin. Um, so Jesus was, actually, Jesus was actually expressing a feeling of abandonment um, when, he, when he questioned and asked why. Um, but actually, if, you know... That we feel things all the time. <laughs> it doesn't mean they're true. Um, and if we're actually to believe what Jesus just said there in John 8, which is maybe not there anymore, but in, what Jesus said in John 8 um, is that um, I do nothing of my own authority, um, 
but I speak just as the Father taught me. And so if we're, to, if we're to believe what he's just said there, then actually by saying these words, Jesus is speaking what the Father has taught him to say in that moment. And the question is, uh, why? And we're coming to that in a moment. Um, so actually, all of the verses I've just read show us that, that Jesus was not separated. He was still fully connected to the Father and to Holy Spirit. They didn't suddenly jump out of him on the cross because they just couldn't bear it. <laughs> um, that just didn't happen. But he, he felt separation in the human condition. But the Trinity is inseparable. Jesus died a physical death. He didn't die a spiritual death. He was never cut off from the Trinity. And the Trinity was involved in the, in the resurrection, in the crucifixion and the resurrection. They were all in it. Um, and we read that in 2 Corinthians 5.19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God was reconciling the world to himself um, in that moment. And we actually really need to understand the heart of God because God just doesn't forsake anyone ever. It's just not in his nature. It's just not who he is. It's not what he does because, and his goodness never changes. It's, it's who he is. And we read, you know, in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave, like he just loves. It's who he is. He can't help but love. And, um, and his love and his goodness and ever, towards Jesus, didn't just leave Jesus hanging there, being like, oh, well, we're, we're joined, but I'm not, not today. It just didn't happen. Like, he absolutely was in. He was there. He was, he was, he was on the cross too. He's, he, Jesus and him didn't stop being, they didn't get separated at any point. Um, and he never leaves us. He's always with us. That is the truth. Is that, and so we need to understand his goodness. Like if, if any, any subtle thing in our head says that, that God abandoned Jesus on the cross, then we're gonna, we have an issue ourselves with like when things go wrong in our life. What are we believing about who he is and his goodness? Are we, do we just like, oh, well, you're going to leave me too, Father, just like you left Jesus? No, absolutely not. Let's not project stuff onto him because our situations are difficult. It's not true. That is not true. Um, Hebrews 12, 2 says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And actually, that is true of the Father. Like, the, for the joy set before the Father, for the joy set before Holy Spirit, Jesus endured the cross. Actually, we are that joy that Jesus hung on there for love because he could be, he was like, ah, oh, I'm going to get these. I'm going to get them. And I get you, Andy. And I get you, Avril. I'm going to get you, Lydia. And he hung there with us in mind that when he, when he died on that cross, he was thinking about me. He, I mean, he even prayed um, for us, you know, John 17, like we were the ones who were, we're the far off ones. And he actually stood in that and prayed before he went to the cross for me. I just think, I, I mean, feel free to say wow at any point. I've, I've, I've been practicing saying wow a lot more because I'm just, I want to be childlike and kids are like, wow. And so I, I do it a lot. I'm training myself to say wow a lot more. That Jesus prayed for me who was far off. And when he hung on that cross, I was his joy. And, and love kept him there. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Mary <laughs> Um and so um, what I want to do now is we're just going to look at Psalm 22, which is where this verse actually comes from. So in the, I love this actually, in the Passion Translation, the, the sort of um, heading for Psalm 22 says, a prophetic portrait of the cross, uh, which I think is great. Um, so I'm not going to read the whole Psalm. If you want to, 
please do that uh, this afternoon when you go home. There are 31 verses, and uh, I'm just going to pick out uh, and unpack a few, so please do that on your own time. Um, so, first of all, verse 1 in Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where is that? from oh yeah the cross um it was actually custom um for the jews and um, when they quoted large portions of scripture actually to mention just the first um few verses or words of a passage which meant you need to consider the whole passage um, and those standing around the cross would actually have recognized this is psalm 22 because um and that Jesus meant to apply it to himself, and that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Because the Psalms, don't forget, were sung. They were like your modern-day pop songs. Um, and, you know, Jesus and his disciples even sang uh, hymns uh, at the Last Supper, probably like the Halal hymns, which is Psalm 113 to 118. And so by Jesus saying, you know, just the first few lines of this Psalm, it would be like me saying, I just called to say, <laughs> stop but you and then you know the rest like they knew even if they didn't know the entire song off by heart they knew roughly what the song was and um so we're gonna look at what was happening in this psalm because jesus the psalm has you know so it's just towards the end so he's been on the cross for like i don't know maybe five hours and 45 minutes by this point and then he says my god my god why have you forsaken me and then a wee bit later it is finished and then he died and so everything that has happened up until that point the minute he said psalm 22 by the way it applies to this whole situation and i'm fulfilling it right now everything that everyone around the cross had just watched they would have just been like wow so let's look at what was happening so verse 6 says this but i am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people interesting verse but the the thing about this is that we just don't understand sometimes. Um, and this is amazing. So hang on to your seats to be ready to be wowed. So the Hebrew, I'm having fun. The Hebrew word for a worm um, in the Bible is rima, which actually means maggot or it means worm. But in this verse, the Hebrew word used here, and this is just like, wow, because David wrote this you know, however many hundred or what, probably like a thousand or so years, like year, a thousand years before or something. Um, the Hebrew word used here for worm is tola ath, which means crimson worm or scarlet worm. Now, the crimson worm, which is the cocos illicis, is its correct name, uh, is actually a, a very special worm because it actually looks more like a grub than a worm. Um, and when the female crimson worm is ready to have babies, what she does is that... Um, she actually only does that once in her life. And what she does is she finds uh, the trunk of a tree or a wooden fence post or a stick and attaches her body um, to that wood. And then her body becomes a hard um, crimson shell. And she's so um, stuck permanently to that wood that actually the shell can never be removed without like tearing her body completely apart and killing her. Um, and the crimson worm then lays eggs under her body and under the protective shell. And then when the baby worms or the larvae are um, hatched, they actually stay under that shell for protection and then they feed on the body of the mother. Just slightly, ugh, 
Um, anyway, but after just a few days, when the young worms grow to the point that they're able to take care of themselves, the mother then dies. And as the mother crimson worm dies, she oozes a crimson or a scarlet red dye, which not only stains the wood she's attached to, but also the young worms. They are colored scarlet for the rest of their lives. After three days, the dead mother crimson worm's body loses its crimson color, it turns into white wax, which falls to the ground like snow. Now, these worms were used to dye cloth red in Jesus' day. And so when they heard that word worm, it meant something different to them than it means to us because they knew what that worm was and it was found, you know, in the, in the time. And the thing about um, birth, oh, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but water and blood come out at birth. And actually water and blood is what came out of Jesus when he was pierced in his side. And so actually... Um, Jesus is not saying here that he was a despised worm, but instead actually what we have is a picture um, that really of Jesus shedding his blood that he might birth sons uh, um, to glory, which is just like, wow. And wow that David used this word for worm and not the other word. Um, amazing. So verse 7 and 8 of Psalm 22 says this, All who see me mock me. They make, their, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And then we find in Mark 15, 29 to 31, and then in also Matthew 27 to 39 to 42, those who had passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of law mocked him amongst themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. So that's exactly, you know, there we go. Verse 10, on you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my God. And interestingly, here David's mentioning, you know, a mother and then on the cross, Jesus turns to John and says, um, woman, behold your son and to, to John, behold your mother. And so just also a, a mention of the mother, Jesus does that too. Then in verse 12 and 13, it says this, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And Bashan, it was a fertile land, like a good pasture land, which was just northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And so the bulls there got big and beefy. And the other thing is that the word Bashan uh, is also a word for serpent, interestingly. Um, and the Hebrew translation of surround here, so these the many bulls and uh, the bulls of Bashan surround me, the Hebrew translation of surround can also be crowned. So it could read, Strong, strong bulls of Bashan have crowned me, um, which really is just a, a visual image of the crown of thorns that was, was placed on Jesus' head. Remember the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it onto his head and mocked him. Then verse 14 and 15, um, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shared, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Now, a pot shared is an earthen vessel. Interesting word, um, an earthen vessel. So, actually, you know, all my bones are out of joint. 
doesn't, but, but none of them were broken. So um, the Passover lamb um, in Exodus 12:46, actually the Passover lamb, it says, was to have no bone broken. And then John um, 19, um, 28 and 29, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. So actually he's, I'm poured out like water. My tongue sticks to my jaws, we read in the psalm. So, and the thing about crucifixion was it just, that, that it did, it just, it, it dried people up and they did thirst. Um, and also the hyssop branch, whenever Jesus was being given the sour wine, actually it was the hyssop branch that was used um, remembering when the angel of death was going to come over at Passover, it was a hyssop branch that was to be dipped in the blood and put around the door frame. So just yet again, more Passover um, imagery. Uh, then verse 16, I'm not going to give you the equivalent New Testament um, gospel verse, but verse 16, they have pierced my hands and feet. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. And verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And Romans 8 tells us that Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers. And Hebrews 12, that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. And then in verse 24, this is talking about God. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction. Let's start again. <laughs> for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Wow, try saying that quickly. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. There we go. He did not turn his face away. We read it in the psalm. And so actually, Jesus is on the cross. All of these things have happened. They've cast lots for his clothing. They have pierced his hands and feet. And, and here we go, you know, this totally blows my mind because crucifixion didn't even exist when David wrote this psalm. It wasn't even a thing. And it was a psalm that was so completely inspired by God because none of that was David's situation. None of those things happened to him. It was none of the challenges he faced. I mean, he faced a few challenges, but not hand piercing and feet piercing and, you know, being thirsty and having bulls of, well, maybe some bulls of Bashan around him potentially, but amazing. Um, crucifixion didn't exist and that um, really completely inspired by God. And then verse 31 um, of Psalm 22 finishes with, he has done it. Um, or the God's word translation says, he has finished it. Um, and then we know from John 19, 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So what was finished? What was it that actually Jesus did on the cross? What was the, what was it? What was the finished thing? Um, there's so many things happened when he did that. It was amazing, like the veil tears and the dead people come out of their tombs and the saints, you know, who died. That, that just, put yourself in the story. Please, please, on the lead up to Easter, read it again. And just imagine, you know, you're sitting at home having a cup of tea and your dead granny from three years ago comes knocking on the door. You'd just be like, what? I mean, it's just amazing. Um, and also, like, the thing that, the other thing that amazes me is that the, you know, it was the chief priests and all that were like, oh, we need to guard this tomb because he said that he would, like, you know, he would rise again in three days. And yet the disciples had a problem believing that, but nobody else did. You know, and the Roman soldiers were, like, happy to, like, you know, tie it up and roll the big stone. Anyway, um, so please do read it again. So what was finished? What did Jesus' victory do on the cross? So lots of things. And I am 
probably going to miss some, so you can go and research and find your own. So the law was fully fulfilled by Jesus. Yeah! Um, so that would be like 613 laws and the Ten Commandments. Um, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Whew. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. So what commandments and laws do we have? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Wow, so much easier. I mean, all those other ones about, you know, mold in your house and what to do if you've touched a dead body, you know, like, or dead anything, eh, just exhausting. So thank you, Jesus, wow. Um, the other thing, all distance was canceled. There is no more separation signified by that whopping big veil being like ripped, um, which I think, my goodness, those priests must have just been like in shock and horror and wondering if they would be able to stitch it back up. Um, and... Actually, the veil tore as soon as Jesus said, it is finished and died. Um, and he knew that his act would reunite you, to, reunite you to him and unite you with him forever. Colossians 1, 19 to 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. He bound you to himself in love, actually. And he, you know, he's in you, you're in him. We're in the Trinity, we're joined, never again, ever. No more separation, ever, ever, ever. No distance, just joined. It's amazing. Um, sacrifices became redundant. Hallelujah, wow. Hebrews 10, 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I'm so pleased. I don't really ensure that I do well with blood and gore, so I'm delighted for that. Wow. Um, sin was dealt with, Romans 6.3. Through his death, the power of your sinful nature was shattered. Uh, that's the living Bible. And I died. Um, so then Romans 6, uh, 6 in the Passion. We were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. So I died with him. I was raised. You know, I was actually on the cross too all those years ago because I'm in Christ, and then raised to life, new creation, and actually God didn't just pull sin, he didn't just pull me out of sin into this new, you know, glorious life, but actually he pulled sin out of me, so actually I don't have, the like I can choose to sin, but I don't have to sin, it's not who I am, it's I am a saint, my nature is new and it's changed, sickness defeated by his stripes were healed, and we know that Jesus, you know, went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, showing us how it's done. Uh, death was defeated. As I said already, all the saints walk out of their graves into the town. Amazing. Um, and we're promised, you know, like for God so loved the world, um, actually that we, we would not perish, we'll have eternal life. And Paul was one, I think, who said, you know, death, where is your sting? Um, and amazing, Satan stripped of all of his power. <laughs> He goes around roaring like a lion. He isn't a lion. And it was amazing what Martin was saying earlier, but I heard it once said that he is like, um, a, he is a toothless wonder who tries to gum us. I'm like, I like that better. Like, like a lion, which is more like a kitten with no teeth. So basically, 
he's defeated. Colossians 2.15 tells us, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, this is Jesus, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And the picture really is of a Roman general parading his captives behind him um, as his spoil and like booty of war through the streets, complete public humiliation of Jesus and uh, of, not Jesus, of Satan and all of his minions, um, and actually bringing attention to the fact that they have been overcome and that they're, you know, well, they're under our foot, all of them. So it's amazing. Actually, the only power that Satan has is if we give him any, which is why I am so big on let us not partner with the father of lies. Let's not do criticism. Let's not do judgment. Let's not do believing lies about God because we do not, do not give the devil a foothold. Like, because basically he doesn't have any power. We've got the power because of who lives inside of us. So just stop it. Uh, okay, and then um, the one thing I just wanted to say before, what we're going to do, actually, Mark, if you want to pop up, that would be great, wherever you are. Thank you. Mark's just going to play for us. I'm going to read something over us uh, just as we get ready to finish. Um, 1 John 4, 17 says that as he is, so are we in this world. And sometimes around Easter, we just focus so much on, you know, the, the dead Jesus hanging on the cross that actually we forget that he's alive. And, and I just would encourage you, maybe say, maybe say every day, just so that you're like so convinced of it, Jesus is alive. Uh, because sometimes we can just, we get kind of, oh, you know, he got whipped and he was beaten and he couldn't even carry his cross up the hill. And it was, oh my goodness, it was so terrible. It was so terrible. But Jesus is alive. Like, wow. Um, and so um, I was asked this week, um, you know, what, what's like, what's one of your favorite things? What do you love about Jesus the most? And I actually, I paused because I was like, where do you even start with that? There's just so many things. And so what I wanted to do just um, as we close is actually who is Jesus really and uh, this is just a partial answer and I'm just going to read this over you as Mark please and feel free to say wow if you want to say wow Jesus is the one who was and who is and who is to come the eternal death defeating hell conquering captive freeing health-bringing and sin-cleansing revolutionary king-priest. He is the only begotten son of the living God, the fulfillment of all ancient prophecy and the origin of all modern prophecy. He is the center of human history. He is the answer to the question, why are we here? He was the spotless lamb whose blood was shed for the sin of the world. He is the roaring lion, returning again with fire in his eyes to take his rightful place enthroned above every king, every authority of every nation, every tribe and every tongue. He is the singular desire of every heart, the subconscious longing of every sinner and the overwhelming satisfaction of every saint. His goodness is limitless. His grace is sufficient. His love never changes. His mercy is everlasting. His word is enough. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily and by him are all things held together. 
He is love personified, perfection manifested, power demonstrated and glory revealed. He is the lover of my soul, the fulfillment of every worthwhile dream I have ever had. He is my only door to hope, help or shelter and he is more than sufficient any time and every time. He is perfect love and he is eternal truth. His name is above every other name. He is Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, and he is worthy of it all. And so what we're... <laughs> wow! Yay, Jesus! Woo! Yeah! <laughs> wow. Wow. And so I just, we're just going to stand together, um, please. And I just want to say this, if you have never given your life to Jesus, this is a really good day to do it. And if you, or if you have, but you have been the one at the wheel rather than realizing that you are not your own, that you were bought at a price, then I just want to invite you to make today a day where you draw the line in the sand and you say, do you know what? My life's going to look different going forward. 